Welcome to the Weekly Review. That was Rhythm, the first track off of Traumatics, and that's T-A-R-U-M-A-D-X, the new album from El Primo Innocente. And you can find that, and I want to encourage folks to buy the album, and we'll be playing tracks throughout the show. Um, Poe is a really talented musician and a wonderful person, and really grateful to share this music with folks. So if you would like to purchase the album, please do, and you can find that at Bandcamp at Inopogu, and that's I-N-O-P-O-G-U. O-G-U dot bandcamp dot com forward slash album forward slash forward slash traumatics and that's T-A-R-U-M-A-D-X and I'll be playing some more throughout the show and want to encourage folks to purchase the album and listen to it and also encourage local artists and support local artists and that's that's what it's about. So it's actually Thursday right now for folks listening that makes sense for folks listening tomorrow it'll be Friday. It's February 8th, 2018. Things feel a little bit off since we're doing this a day early, though I wanted to make sure that we got some news out to folks. And as per usual, I'm going to offer a a trigger warning. We'll be talking about news stories and people in positions of power trying to harm us. So putting that out there, there are some positive stories out there and people fighting back and some good things happening. So I want to encourage that as well, as well as ideas. And I often think that things seem to be really backwards when we think about what's happening and what people in positions of power do and how one would assume if you had a lot of power and resources, one would want to share it and get to the point where you can help as many people as possible. And it seems like the opposite is happening. So just wanting to call that out there and perhaps we can... I know there are so many people who are working to create a world that is just and fair for everybody. So working on that right now and also needing to call people out who are a lot of elected officials, I will say, who are doing the opposite, who are doing things to harm folks and people who support them are also kind of going along with it, even though they don't realize in the long run it will hurt them as well. Oh, that's happy a happy way to start the show. I had some coffee earlier, so I will be a little bit perky. So that's a positive thing for sure. Oh, goodness. So it's difficult to, to find out where to start. So there's wars happening. There's folks looking to attack the earth for its resources. Uh, <laughs> all, I, I, I randomly clicked on this one. I usually open up a few stories ahead of time uh, that I've been following throughout the week. And then I, it's nice to have segues to go from one article to the next and start off on a powerful note. And perhaps this should be like the backwards show. Like, why are things so backwards? And oh, so right now there's a story from Newsweek. Kids and guns. Shootings are now the third leading cause of death for U.S. children. Wow. So, I, I mean, wow. <laughs> That's where, to, where does one even go with that? This was written by Ryan Bort, and it came out, well, this actually came out, this specific article came out in 2017, so my mistake on not checking that ahead of time, although I'd imagine in 2018 things have not changed much. 
and the it just uh, says that the uh, guns are responsible for the death or injury of over seven thousand children in America each year. That just seems to be ridiculous. And of course, there have been school shootings this year, and it seems like they're out of the the news. They're they're in the news momentarily, and I think folks have become so desensitized to it, where it's like, oh yes, there was another school shooting. Okay. I can't really offer anything aside from the fact that this is the reality that we live in and we need to combat that somehow. And interesting word choice for me to use the word combat. Uh, goodness gracious. It's, I won't, so I won't read the, the specific article because it, it did come out last year. And I'd imagine it's probably increased since then. They will. They do say that researchers have found that 53% of gun-related deaths were homicides, while 38 were 38% were suicides, 6% were unintentional, and 3% were related to law enforcement or undetermined causes. Of the injuries, 71% were assault, 21% were unintentional, uh, 5% were related to law enforcement. I. Okay, this is okay. Oh, so these are the injuries. Five percent were related to law enforcement or undetermined causes, and around three percent were self-inflicted. In two thousand ten, ninety-one percent of the children killed by guns around the world were American. Ninety-one percent. So I have a feeling that America's probably at the top of that list. And uh, according to the data, nineteen children die from or are treated for gunshot wounds each day. Nineteen. So this was back in 2010. I would only imagine that's increased since then. Holy shit. Wow. Not much of an upper article to start this, this show with. However, if we pretend it doesn't exist, then I, I don't know who that's helping. So how do we, how do we solve things? That's, a, that's one question. Indeed. All right. Moving along to something that's maybe a little bit... We do have some positive news stories. So I'm going to do a positive news story. This comes from The Advocate, and this came out recently. This came out on February 5th, 2018. It was written by Ariel Sobel. And a study, there may be millions more trans teens than once estimated. Now, I've had fantasies about like trans armies kind of <laughs> protecting people and fighting back against folks who try to harm us. And I'm glad, it's, I'm glad to know that the next generation, people are coming out more and more. And I think there's always been folks who are on the spectrum, who are trans, who are gender fluid, non-binary, and so on and so forth. It's just that folks always haven't had the chance to really identify it or have felt safe to. And also, we know that there's a lot of violence committed against us. So the I don't think it's any, it's not certainly not a new phenomenon. It's just the fact that now folks maybe feel more able to speak up about it, and perhaps now there are more guardians and parents who might be able to support their kids. So that's a positive thing, certainly. And so I'll read this article here, and again, this is from The Advocate. Nearly 3% of students in 9th and 11th grade are transgender or gender nonconforming, according to a new study released in Pediatrics. The research analyzed about 81,000 teens in Minnesota. Nearly 2,200 students identified as trans or gender nonconforming, preferring the neutral pronouns such as them. Diverse gender identities are more prevalent than people would expect, said Nick Ryder, a University of Minnesota postdoctoral fellow who was the lead author of the study. These kids also reported worse mental and physical health than their cisgender classmates, echoing earlier results showing LGBT teens are more susceptible to violence. 
Writer believes that bullying and discrimination against these students are a possible reason for this issue. Really, you think? Sorry. Yes, it is. Uh, although the study did not confirm this assumption. The study follows findings from University of California, Los Angeles, that reported an estimated 0.7% of teens, 13 to 17, are transgender. Government data, and we all know about government data, government data says 1.4 million adults are transgender, making up 0.6% of the population. The new study finds that the amount who feel their gender differs from what they were assigned at birth is over four times the previously estimated amount. The earlier numbers of transgender population have been underestimated by orders of magnitude, said Dr. Daniel Schumer, who specializes in transgender medicine at the University of Michigan, in an opinion article that accompanied the study in pediatrics. Youth are rejecting this binary thinking and are asking adults to keep up. Yay! That makes me feel good. Children are our future. This is good stuff. With growing trans visibility in the United States, some youth might find it safer to come out and talk about gender exploration, writers said. In the past decade, genderqueer or trans figures have emerged in society, including Laverne Cox, Janet Mock, and Alexandra Billings. Fewer trans men have been noticed by the media, though. That's for sure. Despite various federal agencies calling for more research on gender and sexual identity, the Trump administration has removed all questions about LGBT people from their 2020 census. If the government doesn't know how many LGBTQ people live in a community, how can it do its job to ensure we're getting fair and adequate access to the rights, protections, and services we need? Megan Mori, Criminal and Economic Justice Project Director of the National LGBTQ Task Force, wrote in a statement. Information from these surveys helps the government to enforce federal laws like the Violence Against Women Act and the Fair Housing Act and to determine how to allocate resources like housing, supports, and food stamps. As of now, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has not investigated the status of transgender youth, saying it's difficult to find the right way to ask teens and children about their gender identity and get a credible answer. Rider survey asked teens about their assigned gender and if they currently identify as transgender, genderqueer, genderfluid, or are unsure. They were not questioned whether they had physically transitioned through hormone surgery or through hormone therapy or surgery. In order to improve the emotional health of the growing number of transgender youth, Ryder suggests that the study should encourage doctors to ask teens how they identify and if they are experiencing harassment. Her perspective is in line with the American Academy of Pediatrics policy that pediatricians use gender-neutral terms. I like this. See, some positive news. I'm grateful for that. It's good to remember that there are still some positive things happening. And it's going to take us into another story of things working, you know, towards positivity. All right. So there is um, um, an ordinance to end cash bail is a win for Atlanta activists. And this comes from the Peach Perspective. I don't believe I've read from the site before. And you can find this at peachperspective.com. This was written by Anoa Changa, and this came out a day ago. Um, advocates have pushed for Atlanta to end the requirement of cash bail for nonviolent offenses. Let's read about it. The Atlanta City Council voted unanimously yesterday to end the requirement of cash bail for certain nonviolent offenses. The ordinance amends Chapter 62 of the City of Atlanta Code and will take effect 30 days after Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms signed the ordinance into law today. And they have some tweets here uh, recording, you know, presenting this 
information. The chief of corrections is tasked with monitoring the results of the ordinance. Within six months of the mayor's approval, the chief must report their findings to the Public Safety Committee of the Atlanta City Council in a public presentation. A lengthy discussion took place yesterday regarding public safety, interests of alleged victims, and dismantling a system of wealth inequality. The final vote was unanimous, but not all council members were committed to justice and equity. Council's deliberations included much discussion as to which offenses or circumstances may give rise to cash bail. District 6 Councilwoman Jennifer N. Ida proposed an amendment addressing the offenses considered containing an element of violence or threatened violence. Ida challenged the council to think about the way it was defining violent acts. In her amendment, Ida proposed that several offenses not be subject to cash bail, including disorderly conduct use use of fighting words and disorderly conduct act of violence toward property. In explaining why these offenses should not be subject to cash bail, Ida reiterated that she was not that she was concerned about perpetuating a system of wealth inequality whereby those detained are there merely because they cannot pay. City solicitor Raines Carter noted, while clarifying some of the offenses proposed for removal from the section retaining cash bond that police officers often exercise discretion as to whether individuals are charged on a lesser municipal offense where a state-level offense may exist. Ida further proposed amending language in this section regarding offenses that the Chief of Corrections reasonably believes involve violence or the threat of violence, specifically involving a person or other persons. She took care to note the difference between alleged violence directed at other people and alleged violence directed at property. Ida also noted that the list of offenses, including those involving a domestic violence citation or solicitation for an illicit sexual act. She also proposed that cash bond be permissible if an individual is serving probation or on parole. Her amended language passed 10 to 3. While the overall ordinance passed 13 to 0, not everyone supported it enthusiastically. Although he voted for the ordinance, Councilman Michael Julian Bond referenced the need to strike a balance between consideration of victims and those of indignant, indigent uh, defendants. Bond suggested that the organizers, coalition partners, and others who stood in support of this effort were not members of the communities in need of relief. In council chambers, he warned that these activists won't be here when the phone rings, whether it is about drugs or public indecency, and people in the community are going to want relief. Bond clearly does not care that many of the people who spoke on behalf of and advocated for this ordinance are, in fact, members of that community. Yes, the community wants relief. That relief includes dismantling a system that punishes people who can't post bond. That relief includes making sure members of the community are not put in even more dire situations. But Bond and opponents who provided... Public comment against the ordinance continue to reference offenses and scenarios that fall outside the purview of this effort as an attempt to undermine progress. Ahead of the final council vote, Bond reiterated concerns raised earlier over failure to appear, appear FTA, rates by Scott Hall of the Georgia Association of Professional Bondsmen. However, information provided during public comment suggests that this concern over FTAs and the end of cash bail for certain offenses is not supported by evidence. Attorney Marissa Dotson, public policy director at the Southern Center for Human Rights, explained that there is no correlation between money bond and FTA. She gave the example of findings from a Gwinnett County study that providing additional administrative measures, including additional notice, could decrease FTAs. 
Dotson also corrected misinformation from the bail bond industry regarding other places that have looked to end cash bail, including Harris County, Texas. The situation in Harris County is the result of ongoing litigation and has resulted in an admonishment of judges and magistrates by a federal court. As we look forward and build on the amazing groundwork by the local coalition of community-based organizations committed to ending money bond, we must not forget those who are who are stood on who have stood on the wrong side of justice. It is clear from the organizers, attorneys, and supporters who spoke during the public comment period that this is the only the first step toward equity in the city and hopefully the state. The opposition isn't going to take this defeat sitting down, so we need to be prepared to continue to support these efforts. A conversation regarding this bu- the budget and providing needed service for indigent defendants may indignant... In- indigent, excuse me. Indignant. Indigent. I'm having issues with words today. My apologies. Indigent. Defendants may be coming down the pipeline. Councilman Ivory Young Jr. raised that concern ahead of the council's vote. It would be interesting if a portion of this budgeting process were were participatory, allowing for for direct community engagement. The changes to cash bail that City Council approved apply only to municipal offenses in Atlanta. The process by which the cash bail requirement was ended is a good example of people-driven power, but we need to keep pushing for reform at the state level. Lobbyists for the state bondsmen, for the bail bondsmen, lobbyists for, (laughs) I can read the words, I promise, lobbyists for the bail for the bail bondsmen and corrections industry will not let up. This is a labor of love and we must all find a way to support it. The other side may have well-paid lobbyists, but we have a strong advocates and fierce voices for justice. All right. So you can find this article again at peachperspective.com. I'm going to drink some water and recenter myself a little bit, and then we'll get back to some more news stories. In the meantime, I'm going to play some more tracks from Poe, and I'm going to bring that up here, and Bandcamp, yeah, it's on Bandcamp. You can find it there. Again, uh, so I'm going to play the next song off the album, Agoraphobia. So stay tuned, and we'll be back uh, after this.
que no quieres seguir Gracias por sobrevivir No te dé miedo el pasillo Sé que no quieres seguir Gracias por existir No te dé miedo tu camino Sé que no quieres vivir Gracias por seguir así She said, hey Welcome back again. Uh, that song was called Agoraphobia uh, from El Primo Innocente from the album Termatics, and that just came out. And you can find that again on Bandcamp if you go to Inopogu, that's I-N-O-P-O-G-U dot Bandcamp dot com forward slash album forward slash Termatics, and that's T-R-A-U-M-A-D-X. And we'll be hearing more music throughout the show. I apologize for what feels to me like a rocky start. I guess part of it's the doing it on a different day. And part of it's the coffee. And I don't know, different energy on a Thursday than a Friday. I appreciate you all listening. And if folks are interested in doing a show here at Mutiny Radio, we have lots of thoughts available. So please do check out mutinyradio.fm and you can have a show of your own and we support actual free speech here and it can be music, it can be talk, it can be politics, anything you'd like. 
And we also have spaces available for rentals on Saturday nights and other times as well. If you'd like to do a show here, you can keep a portion of the door and you also have this live podcast, this live recording of it and lots of other good things. I'm getting my head on straight. It's different doing it on a Thursday. I have to say it. I do have to say I'm a little bit, uh, I didn't meditate this morning, so maybe that's part of it as well. I'm not as centered as I usually am, but we'll get through it. That's good. We've got some more positive news stories coming up and people, people taking action, making positive things happen, which is really good. I will, I guess I usually also start off the show with a rant and it's not that I'm not angry about things. I've also just been able to talk about things, which makes it easier. So there was the the Super Bowl this past weekend, and from folks in Minneapolis, it seemed to be similar things that were happening there that happened when it was the Super Bowl was in Santa Clara a couple years ago. And if folks can remember, the mayor asked of San Francisco, even though Santa Clara, which is like about 40 miles away, it's like kind of far from San Francisco. So even though the the game was being played in a different city than San Francisco, uh, they wanted to like increase tourism here since folks were going to be here. So their idea was like, oh my gosh, what do we do with people who are unhoused? I don't know. Why don't we have sweeps? So they actually did homeless sweeps um, in preparation of the Super Bowl, which wasn't even being played in this city. And it was really disgusting. And there were a lot of protests, thankfully. A lot of people showed up just to be... So for folks who are coming into town to be like, hey, listen, this is what's happening here. Don't try to gloss over this. And if you actually cared about making the city look better, why not actually give people housing? instead of trying to move people from one place to the next. When you move people from one place to the next, you're actually making things a lot worse than better. So there was, yes, there was lots of protests. There were folks carrying tents. Uh, it was down by Embarcadero. I remember it very fondly. Lots of folks came through. And apparently something similar had happened in, in Minneapolis. So they were trying to... I mean, their idea is just to try to, like hide what's actually happening for the tourists who come in, which is disgusting. And that happens a lot with, I've heard with the Olympics when they have the Olympics in town or when building a new sports stadium, they don't care so much about the people who are actually there. It's all about, it's like a money grab. So how can they make money and how can they displace people who are already there and not listen to the people who are actually in the community? And someone, I know a few folks in Minneapolis and someone had mentioned that there was an increase in what looked like military, not quite tanks, however, like military, like trucks and vehicles. And I remember the same thing being here in San Francisco as well, being like, this, this is really unnecessary. Like, why are these things here? Like, this is really gross. It's just a gross use, use of wealth of resources. And it scares people. It's like, we're not living in a, in a war zone as far as I know, yet you're having all these military forces in here to protect folks for a fucking game. Okay. That's an interesting choice you made. Oh yeah, so the Super Bowl. I didn't watch it. I don't have a TV. <laughs> I didn't watch it. I did the most thing I've been following about of all professional sports or like the four. I guess the main. I don't know like team sports. Like I was, I was more into basketball when I was growing up, and more into baseball than football, and even more, a little bit more into hockey than to football. And I think part of that came from growing up and what sports were available to folks who were viewed as female. And like there wasn't a when I was a kid, like a female. Like there was football as in soccer. And I, played, I did play on a football team that was soccer. Anyway, but there wasn't uh, a place for people who identified as female or told that they were female to play football, American football. So I think I was less invested in that. And also it just seemed really violent and I wasn't really into that. 
and also there are fewer games. Anyway, I was not really into football. However, in the recent years, I have been keeping track in terms of Colin Kaepernick and wanting to support him and as many as, as well as the many other players who've decided not to stand for the national anthem. That would be, I have a joke, that would be like my dream fantasy football team would be the folks who just decide not to stand for the anthem. I think those are people I want on my team. Anyway, so I, I wasn't too invested. However, there were two teams that were playing and I do think that there are politics as far as the teams go and the histories of the teams and who's on the teams. And the Patriots are... Ugh, gross and Tom Brady is pretty gross and he's a friend of Trump and like he's racist and he's just said a lot of really horrible things and has this kind of epitome of the uh, you know privileged white boy who's just really fucking annoying and needs to shut the fuck up anyway I don't know if, how he's as a player though this is my own perspective of from what I've heard of him as a human being and the Eagles on the other hand are more this kind of the opposite of that as far as I can tell and they have many players since they won so I was glad they won have decided not to go to the White House and so there's more just this I, I was glad that they won I, I mean it ideally if anything could end and maybe it would end in a tie and they would all be like let's hold hands and make out with each other that would be an interesting super bowl i also would have liked it if janet jackson had been to the at the halftime show and pushed justin timberlake down the stairs like crystal connor's was pushed in showgirls however uh, you know it's, it's just there's a lot of things about it which is just so like it's a representation of a lot of things that I find to be disgusting about this country and about this world and with this, it's this lack of resources. And then the facts, the fact that like so many folks get concussions and then people don't care about that. And it's just, it's just really, ugh, ugh. those are my feelings about football. And, oh, so yeah, of course, afterwards, people, I guess, mostly in Philadelphia were like, oh my gosh, my sports team won. I don't know how to handle myself. I'm going to get drunk and or I don't know what substance people were on. I'm assuming mostly drunk. And then, you know destroy things around their city and it's so there's like of course so many people are pointing out the hypocrisy in that when folks are protesting and if someone wants to put the word riot on there for for racial justice or for the fact that many people are still being murdered by police and there's just so much inequality when people are protesting and letting it know that they're upset about that as one should rightfully be upset about that somehow that's like looked down upon by some folks or looked at as illegal yet when folks riot when their fucking sports team wins it's somehow that's somehow permissible and just the hypocrisy and all that is just so disgusting that they're, Oh, I'm going to destroy my city, but that's because a sports team won that somehow that's, we'll let that one get the pass. However, if folks are actually upset about something that's very real, that concerns people's lives that somehow is looked down upon oh, the, the, the back. It's like the backwardsness in this country. That's the thing. It's just like the, the framework of it is so unsettling to me. It's so frustrating. Oh, anyway, that's my Super Bowl report. I didn't really watch it, so I don't know if I'd be a great sports commentator. However, that's my thoughts on it. And I have a feeling some other folks felt the same way as well. So that's good. And uh, yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, good, good, good on you, Philadelphia. That's great news. And also... If we're going to look at the imagery, too, and I had a similar thing with the, the I happened to be in St. Louis during the World Series in 2011 by happenstance. And I was like, it was like very easy to be like, OK, the Texas Rangers are playing the St. Louis Cardinals. And you have like these birds versus a fucking Texas Ranger. Who do you think I want to win? And a similar thing, we got this bird and eagle versus the uh, New England Patriots. So even just the idea of going with the mascots, it's uh, easy to choose a, a winner in my book. OK, that's happening. Great. How about we play some more music? And I, I'll probably just go down the list here. There's lots of good songs here. I'm going to go down the list to make sure I get to as many as I can. And this is the third track off the album, El Abusador. And uh, yeah, we'll be playing this. 
And then we'll be back with some news stories after that.
Sangre indígena. No, no, no. 
Simulations of dead queens all whisper in my ear. You have the right to have your body screaming out now. You have your voice, you have your body screaming out now. And burned. I never 
All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we've got some more news stories for everybody here. This one comes from LGBTQ Nation, and it came out on Wednesday, February 7th. Three in five people will deliberately misgender a trans person to show disrespect. And I think a lot of us are aware of this. Oh, three in five people inter internationally. They say internationally. Do they mean intentionally? Well, it says three in five people internationally report that they would intentionally misgender a transgender person, according to a recent study. Ipsos found that only two out of five people in Australia, Canada, Great Britain, and the United States said they would call a trans man he and a trans woman she instead of misgendering them. Only one in five said they would use the gender-neutral pronoun they. Americans were most likely to say they would misgender someone, followed by Australia, Canada, and Great Britain. The data on that particular question comes only from the countries and the survey where English is the primary language, although the surveying company expressed a hope to develop similar custom questions language by language in the future. Misgendering harms trans and gender nonconforming people. Misgendering can be harmful to trans and gender nonconforming people, resulting in feelings of gender dysphoria and the stress that comes from being discriminated against, especially if done intentionally. A study published in 2014 in the academic journal Self and Identity found that approximately a third of participants felt very stigmatized when misgendered. Those who experienced the most misgendering had the lowest reported self-esteem regarding their looks and felt less strength of, of continuity in their gender identity. It is this very discrimination and intolerance that leads to the minority stress that accounts for the increased rate of drug use, mental health issues, depression, and suicide within the LGBTQ community in general and the trans and gender nonconforming community in particular. There were some good news in the results, however. 60% of the survey's international participants said they would like to see their country do more to protect and support trans people, with 51% of Americans making that statement. About the same number of people in the poll, 60% said they felt their country was becoming a more tolerant place for trans people. 70% said they wanted to see their country protect trans people from discrimination. Sadly, the exact opposite trend is taking place in the United States, where the Trump administration has launched attacks on the LGBTQ community since taking control, including rescinding trans students' rights to use facilities matching their identity, and an attempted ban on trans soldiers in the military, and giving a license to discriminate to religious folks. The Ipsos survey was conducted between October 24th and November 7th and included the following 27 countries, Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Chile, China, Ecuador, France, Great Britain, Germany, Hungary, India, Italy, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, Peru, Poland, Russia, Serbia, South Africa, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, and the USA. Ooh. So if you'd like to find the story, it's on LGBTQNation.com. Ugh. Ugh. Slow progress. Okay. So, in the meantime, we've got some positive things happening, and we have a trans woman running for governor of California against Gavin Newsom. So, if you'd like to help support uh, Veronica Fimbres, get on the ballot. There's a GoFundMe that you can check out, and that's at GoFundMe.com forward slash please dash help dash me dash get dash on dash the dash ballot and we'll share this i'll share it right now on the weekly review webpage. so if you go back to thursday february 8th it'll be on there right i'm gonna put this on there right now so you can 
help support, you can share as well as donate and spread the word. And I'll read a little bit about this. Uh, okay. Let's see. All right. And, uh, hi, I'm seeking your financial help to raise this money uh, by the filing deadline of March 9th, 2018. I need this funding to help get my name on the California ballot in order to run for governor in the June 2018 primary. This will enable me to be a viable contender and to help make... make and to help take big money, oil, pharma, unions, and dark money out of politics. I am solely grassroots and can only achieve my ambitious goal with your help. I am the first black trans woman in the history of elections to run for this position. I am a honorably discharged Vietnam veteran and the first trans officer in the history of the city and county of San Francisco. I served as commissioner of veterans affairs under the board of supervisors and at the pleasure of mayors Brown, Newsom, and the late Ed Lee. I'm running as a Green Party candidate and hoping to end this stranglehold that the current two-party system has over our politics and getting things done for we the people i truly thank you for giving me the opportunity to further serve my country and state in a positive and beneficial way to learn more about my party's basic tenets and they have a link to the green party which is www.gp.org forward slash 10 underscore key underscore values underscore 2016 i sincerely thank you for your time and your support in making this happen veronica so please do share this help get the word out i can't imagine how great it would be to have a governor like that who really was looking out for the people that would be awesome okay there's a few more news stories uh i'm gonna oh they're ugh, ugh. okay taking a deep breath positive one coming up next though or it's a way of helping things get better and this is from mike.com mic.com want to grow the u.s economy cancel student debt new report shows and this was written by ap joyce and it came out on february 6th less than a week after president fuckface gave his state of the union address touting the strength of the american economy under his presidency the stock market saw one of its worst trading days in recent history with stocks falling by about 1175 points with the markets in turmoil and the fate of the U.S. economy under Trump looking more uncertain than ever, a new report has given lawmakers an easy guide on how to alleviate the economic pressure on 44 million Americans while also lowering unemployment and growing the economy with one painfully simple policy. The answer? Cancel all student debt. A report from a group of economists at the Levy Economics Institute of Bard College finds that there would be huge benefits if the federal government were to forgive all existing student debt. This would ripple out from young people struggling to pay off massive college loans to the economy as a whole, according to the report. The idea of canceling student debt is not just some crazy idea out of left field, but it's actually something that could be done, and done in a way that has a moderately positive economic impact, Marshall Steinbaum, a fellow and research director at the Roosevelt Institute and a co-author of the report said in an interview. The way this and similar policies are often discussed is in a mode of, well, can we really afford this? And the answer is definitely yes, he added. The report finds that canceling all student debt would likely lead to an increase in U.S. GDP between $861 billion and $1,083 billion in over the course of 10 years. It would also lead to an increase of one point. 1.8 to 1.55 million additional new jobs over the same period. That's about 50% to 70% more jobs per year compared to an average of recent years. 
The, this new analysis comes at a time when more than 44 million Americans have a collective $1.3 trillion in student debt, higher than both auto U.S. debt and credit card debt. At the same time, the Trump Education Department has worked against student debt activists by suspending loan forgiveness applications for more than 65,000 borrowers who claim they were defrauded into taking out high-cost loans by predatory for-profit schools. Prior to taking office, Trump settled a lawsuit over his for-profit educational institution, Trump University, which was accused of defrauding students across the country. Uh, what our report shows is that you get a greater macroeconomics impact, bigger bang for the buck, and that student debt cancellation has about half the budgetary effect of the Trump tax cuts. The report also finds that a total loan forgiveness would cost the U.S. government approximately $1.4 trillion over the course of 10 years, a number that is almost exactly the same as what the CBO recently projected the Republicans' new tax bill would cost. But researchers said that the positive impacts of canceling student debt would likely be more broadly felt than those of the tax bill. The GOP tax bill is going to add $1.5 trillion to de deficits over the next 10 years, Stephanie Kelton, Stony Brook University professor of public policy and economics, said in an interview. Kelton is one of the authors of the report and recently worked as a chief economist's as the chief economist for the Democratic minority on the Senate Budget Committee. What else could we do? Canceling student loan debt was just about perfect because it comes in at 1.4 trillion and it's almost 6 of 1 half a dozen of the other in terms of a price tag, she said. Kelton emphasized that the U.S. government shouldn't be thinking of how it can spend money to help Americans as a zero-sum game, but at the same time, if lawmakers can spend money to provide massive tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations, it can also afford to spend nearly the same amount to cancel student debt and grow the economy simultaneously. What our report shows is that if that you get a greater macroeconomics impact, bigger bang for your buck, and the student debt cancellation has half the budgetary effect of the Trump tax cuts, Kelton said. The notion of large-scale student loan relief has been around since at least 2011, when the Occupy Wall Street movement helped spotlight the student debt crisis as a major political issue. Since then, a number of proposed policies for debt relief and restructuring have surfaced, often presented as debt-free college. Support for those proposals have been growing, particularly among Democratic lawmakers, despite opposition from the financial services industry. Boo. But the Levy Economics Institute analysis goes a step further by giving serious consideration to the question of what would happen if the federal government were to assume responsibility for all student debt. Full stop. The report also found that canceling student debt would attenuate some long-standing racial disparities in debt and education. It noted that because of long-standing generational disparities in family wealth and income, black and Hispanic borrowers tend to take on higher levels of debt and have a harder time paying it off than their white counterparts. Eliminating student debt, the report shows, would help keep the high cost of borrowing from exacerbating the racial wealth gap between the growing number of Americans seeking better employment through higher education. Though the current Republican White House and GOP-controlled Congress are unlikely to take up an ambitious policy like total student debt relief, the broad potential benefits and relatively low costs make it a relatively appealing policy for lawmakers to consider in the future. To cast the proposition in terms of our current pres pres president might use, what do they have to lose? Hmm. Well, if this were to happen, I think that would be awesome. I'm not going to hold my breath because <laughs> that might lead to disappointment and me not being able to breathe again. However... 
it would be great if something like that were to happen and debt relief for, for students, that would be amazing. And also what if all colleges were free? Thankfully here in San Francisco, now city college is free for residents of San Francisco. I think that's wonderful. I think there should be debt relief for all folks with student debt, as well as making a way that folks can access their education. What would it be like if people even got paid to go to school as it happens in some, some countries? What would that look like? How great would that be? Instead of people just working at jobs, menial jobs that don't necessarily help people only just to make ends meet. What would that look like if, if education was really <sighs> valued and teachers were valued? What would that look like? I think that would be amazing. Okay, so here's to creating a better world for people. All right, next up, this is another song called uh, Depression y Desenfoque. Desenfoque. Okay, more music and then we'll be back after that, after a few songs. The disconnect took over and now I can barely sing my only lullabies The silence filled in quick Se me enredaron 
las cintas y quizá podría pasar otra vez. Hoy no puedo reír detrás de esta sonrisa hay un niño que nació entre mucho estrés. Perdón que me caí, se me aflojaron las cintas y quizá podrían suceder Sonrisas, hay un niño que nació entre mucho estrés. Existe un niño que nació entre mucho estrés. No quiso, pero hay un niño que nació entre mucho estrés.
Y aquí estoy con todo el poder, aquí estoy con nada de control, creciendo que soy, creciendo que doy. Y aquí estoy con todo el control, aquí estoy con nada de poder, creciendo I would encourage folks to get this album and you can find it at Bandcamp at inopogu.bandcamp.com forward slash album forward slash traumatics and that's I-N-O-P-O-G-U dot bandcamp.com Cool! Alright, announcement time! Yay! Alright, coming up Sunday, February 11th from 4.30 to 6.30pm Where do we go from here? The Poor People's Campaign, City of Refuge, UCC, at 8400 Enterprise Way in Oakland. Following Reverend Dr. William Barber's visit to the Bay Area, join us for a community conversation on local struggles for racial and economic justice. All are welcome to this free event. The Faith Alliance for a Moral Economy is honored to co-present this event with City of Refuge, UCC, and you can RSVP at uh, 2, David at Working eastbay.org. Again, that's david at workingeastbay.org. This is from the Faith Alliance for a Moral Economy. Again, this is a free event happening Sunday, February 11th, 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. at City of Refuge, UCC at 8400 Enterprise Way in Oakland. Cool. 
coming up at the station in March, from March 1st to the March 5th, there is the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. It's sponsored by Spark, one of the dispensaries here in town. So it's a Thursday to Saturday from 6 to 11 p.m., Sunday and Monday from 5 to 10 p.m., 37 comics, 25 shows, five days, live for 30 Live for 30 audience members, live streaming and podcasts. And you can find that, of course, at mutinyradio.fm. Come here in person. We're on the corner of 21st Street and Florida in the Mission District. Also, another sponsor is Rainbow Grocery. So thanks to Rainbow Grocery for doing that. If you would like to sponsor shows here, you can also donate directly to the station because that would be awesome at mutinyradio.fm. If you'd like to help support this podcast, that would be really great too. Uh, There's a Patreon up at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. We're looking to get the funds to fully cover the costs of operation here, uh, the monthly rental fees. So we're almost there. Uh, Anywhere from a dollar a month up would be greatly appreciated. Again, go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev cool onwards and upwards more news stories okay all right deep breath in and out we'll get to everything or not everything because how can we ever get to anything there's always things happening even even right now we'll get to what we can get to next up sf to open controversial they say controversial i guess they're controversial for some that's kind of common sense for others controversial safe injection sites and this i was looking for like an article from a source that I really wanted to trust. And cause every, every news agency has their own bias for sure. And really wanting to just provide as much accurate information for folks. That's not, doesn't seem to downplay what a lot of activists have been working on for a long time. So this article is from SF weekly. So take it with, you know, it's, that's, it is what it is. Uh, this came out Thursday, which is today, February 8th, 2018. This is written by uh, Nuala Sawyer. Um, After decades of work from activists, health organizations, and politicians, two safe injection facilities are expected to open in San Francisco this summer. This is great news. It's been decades in the making, but on Tuesday afternoon, the city's Department of Public Health voted unanimously to support the opening of safe injection sites in San Francisco. The spaces would offer intravenous drug users a sanitary spot to inject drugs with hygiene supplies, a trained staff, and needle disposal boxes. Those who entered would also have access to drug addiction prevention and counseling. Safe injection sites received a major boost last year when it's been and it's been full speed ahead ever since. In May, Board of Supervisors President London Breed introduced legislation that created a task force dedicated to investigating its potential efficacy. Their report was good, and last October, the Board of Supervisors Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee, made up of Supervisor Sandra Feuer, Supervisor Jeff Sheehy, and Supervisor Hillary Ronan, voted unanimously in support of its findings that a safe injection site would positively benefit the city. But one site alone is not going to do the trick. As Barbara Garcia, director of the director of public health says, to open one site and consider that someone is going to walk a half mile or a mile to their service uh, while they're being impacted by their craving is not going to happen. Multiple sites are going to be very important to reach the population where they are. And with an estimated 22,000 IV drug users in San Francisco, that's a lot of ground to cover. And it's going to happen quickly, with officials saying that two could be up and running by early July. 
The two locations have yet to be formally identified, but last year the examiner reported that one may open up at the AIDS Foundation's Harm Reduction Center on 6th Street. While the local legislative hurdles have been cleared, the Chronicle points out that securing funding for the locations will be tricky because it's not like there's a lot of fucking money here in San Francisco where Twitter is. Excuse me. Where are we going to get the money from? I have no idea. Fucking Google buses? Sorry. Maybe there'll be a, maybe uh, one of the fundraising sites that's based here in the city can do it. We can have an Indiegogo to have safe injection sites. That's an idea. Or we could just tax the companies that are here. It's an idea. Excuse me. Let me go back to reading the article. Okay. Let's see. Where are we going to find the funding? That's where we're at. Let's see. Okay. So it's going to be tricky, apparently, as intravenous drug use is technically against the law. If the plans move forward, it could draw additional ire from the Trump administration, which already spurned SF for its sanctuary city policies. But Garcia has local health crises, not national politics, on her mind. I'm more worried about people dying in our streets, she said. Her priorities are in the right place. According to public health officials, 85% of the city's 22,000 intravenous drug users are expected to use safe injection sites, saving the city up to $3.5 million in medical costs. Not to mention the exorbitant time staff from the Department of Public Works spend picking up used and discarded needles. And as always, San Francisco is setting the stage for the rest of the country. As time just reported, Philadelphia is not far behind us in launching a safe injection facility of its own. I think that's great. It definitely helps folks. And I've also heard in Seattle they're working on sites up there as well. That's great. Speaking of substances and making sure that folks can access them safely, we're going to move along to a different type of substance, which is cannabis. Now, when I started the show back in 2013, I was very much, I used to smoke pot a lot. I currently do not. I haven't smoked in over a year. It's been a minute. However, I totally believe everyone should have access. I mean, adults you know, should have access to it. And especially it's helpful for folks with a lot of medical conditions. I feel like it should be grown in the streets. It should be accessible for everyone. And more importantly, people who have been locked away for it should be released and have their records expunged anyway. However, you know, in California, it's been legalized and there's been some talk because a lot of folks who are really into the industry have said that Prop 64 wasn't so good because it's giving the only certain dispensaries will have, it's a, it's a, the, the equity of it is not quite just and it's also gone up quite a bit in price so i i've hear i've heard that if you have a card it's a little bit lower however it's still overall the cost is really high so that's something that's affecting people negatively however i'm all for the decriminalization and the legalization of it it's a plan it helps people why should it be a problem anyway so we used to do a lot of stories about the different states where medical cannabis and eventually recreational cannabis was becoming legalized we haven't done too much of that because there's also been so many other things happening that are terrifying and i wanted to get to those too however if this i think as long as folks can't for who have been incarcerated end up being released and as long as it's, there's that retroactive it's retro i mean that's the thing about getting it making sure it's legal is that retroactively helping people i think that's the really crucial part too and no longer criminalizing people for having it so okay you get where i'm coming from positive story is that there are other states that are now looking to make it more accessible and one of those is virginia of all places house judiciary democrats call for a marijuana hearing and this is uh, came out from Normal, which is the Working to Reform Marijuana Laws organization. And this is written by Justin Streakel from a Normal. He's a Normal political director. And this came out on February 7th. On February 7th, Democratic members of the House Judiciary Committee sent a letter to committee chair Bob Goodlatte. Goodlatte? It's spelled like Goodlatte. I recognize I often mispronounce people's names. 
and working on that. Okay, good latte. <laughs> Republican from Virginia requesting a hearing on the recent revocation of the Cole memo by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who, ugh. Ugh. Okay. The Cole Memo was a Justice Department memorandum authored by former U.S. Deputy Attorney General James Cole in 2013 to U.S. attorneys in all 50 states, directing prosecutors not to interfere with state legislation efforts and those licensed to engage in the plant's production and sale, provided that such persons do not engage in marijuana sales to minors or divert the product to states that have not legalized its use, among other guidelines. In their letter, the Democrats wrote, we fear that the elimination of the Obama administration's marijuana enforcement guidance will promote an inefficient use of limited taxpayer resources and subvert the will of voters who have clearly indicated a preference for legalized marijuana in their states. Representative Goodlatte, I that's probably not pronounced that way, but that's I'm going to call him Goodlatte because he's a Republican congressman. He can, he, yeah. Goodlatte has refused to hold a hearing on marijuana since he took over as the chair of the powerful Judiciary Committee where any serious reform legislation would originate. Recently, Congressman Jerry Nadler was elected by his colleagues to be the ranking member of the minority party on the committee. Representative Nadler has earned an A-plus rating on the normal scorecard for his support of ending the federal prohibition of marijuana, positive votes when given the opportunity, and his co-sponsorship of legalization, including the Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol Act, in the previous session of Congress. The current chairman of the committee is Representative Bob Goodlatte, a longtime opponent of marijuana. He doesn't deserve the name Goodlatte. He does not sound like he's a good latte. A longtime opponent of marijuana reform who has earned a D on the normal scorecard for voting against reform amendments when given the opportunity. However, Representative Goodlatte had announced earlier this year that he will not be running for re-election, which will leave a wide open race on the Republican side who will be the top member in the next Congress. Given the political climate, in order to secure hearings on legislation that would end prohibition, it is essential that the the next chairman of the judiciary be willing to address the issue. In the meantime, we simply will have to wait to see how Representative Goodlatte responds. And you can reach Congress Congressman Goodlatte's DC office by phone at 202-225-5431. If you call his office, let us know what his staff said in the comments below. And they have the full letter by the judiciary. Uh, Democrats, I'm not going to read it. Uh, a lot of folks signed it, though, and you can find it in full if you go to the blog at the normal website, which is blog.normal, that's N-O-R-M-L dot O-R-G. So good on Virginia. Perhaps in the future, it'll be, cannabis will be legalized everywhere. That would be nice. Oh, all right. The next few articles, oh, I, I should probably just start off with doing the ones that are really tough to read because it's, it's just shocking to, oh. Ugh, all right. Well, we're going to take a bit of a music break while I mentally prepare myself. And then we'll be back with some more stories about what's happening here. And yeah, and then we'll be back uh, after that. And this song is called uh, Paciencia. And I'm working on my, my Spanish, so uh, apologies. Uh, working on it. And we'll be back uh, after a few songs. Paciencia o oh, batalla, dame paciencia o oh, batalla, 
dame paciencia o batala, dame paciencia o batala, dame paciencia o batala, dame paciencia o batala, dame paciencia, Yemaya, dame paciencia, Yemaya, dame paciencia, Yemaya, dame paciencia, Yemaya, dame paciencia. Más fuerza, os pido más fuerza. Os pido más fuerza. Os pido más fuerza. Sango pido más fuerza. Pasango pido más fuerza. Sango pido más fuerza. Pasango pido más fuerza.
right after the Emanuel 9, we did a march here. It was called Burying White Supremacy. And we marched from John C. Calhoun statue, where we burned some Confederate flags. And we marched over here um, to Denmark VC statue. This is the space where we find some inspiration of a slave rebellion organizer who fought to free Charlestonians and to remind them of their freedom. The idea of Denmark VC was one of the reasons why Dylan Roof targeted Mother Emanuel. Um, that was Denmark VC's church also. And so the idea of Denmark VC is, is one of a political and social independence for Africans. We have to remember that we haven't experienced nationhood um, because we were imported into a different nation. And so having a, a national identity, you know, is still something we're hunting for. Uh, unfortunately, we can't just um, uh, say that, that we're American uh, if we don't get to experience, you know, the freedom and the liberties and the equity uh, of that. And so the, the strategic move to keep our history, especially our history of resistance, rebellion, and, and fight for liberation, to keep that history silent out of our, our waking consciousness is deliberate and strategic, you know. Um, so this is the place we come for inspiration. So that was the voice of Muyedin Dabaha, um, who's an activist, and he was murdered recently. And uh, this article comes from uh, NOLA.com. He was in uh, New Orleans when he was killed. And uh, this article came out on February 7th. And apologies in advance. Um, I want to make sure I pronounce the name correctly. It's uh, M-U-H-I-Y-I-D-I-N. And the last name is Dabaha. Identified by the New Orleans Police Department as the 32-year-old man who died after being shot on Bienville Street early Tuesday, February 6th, as a Black Lives Matter activist from Charleston, South Carolina. Dabaha, whose legal name is... Muhi Yadin Alamin Moi made uh, national headlines in February 2017 when he took a flying leap to wrestle a large Confederate fla uh, battle flag from a protester in South Carolina, and the event was captured on video. That incident occurred at an event at the College of Charleston, where activist Bree Newsom, known herself for climbing a flagpole to remove a Confederate flag at the State House in Columbia, South Carolina, was speaking. Tabaha was at the event and told the Washington Post he was talking to elders in his group when he saw someone holding the flag. And I looked at our elders, and I saw, like, fear in their eyes, he said. And I saw them back up, almost. That was the moment for me. We're not going to pass this on another generation. We're not going to pass this on another generation. Not another generation of people are going to be intimidated by this flag. He leapt across caution tape and tried to grab the flag away to help them understand what it is to be met with real resistance, to meet people that aren't scared, he told the Post. He was charged with disorderly conduct and malicious injury to real property, according to the Post and Courier in Charleston. The sequence of events was caught on video, as well as on live TV, a live TV broadcast, and the footage rapidly spread online. And in the article, they have footage of, of this. Tabaha is originally from Poughkeepsie, New York, and moved with his family to South Carolina when he was 13, according to an interview in The New Yorker. As a kid, he got in trouble for stealing cars, but then he straightened himself out and went on to a good magnet school in college. He studied psychology and played football, The New Yorker article said. 
In that interview, he spoke of the conflict he saw in respectability politics, referring to what the article described as voices of forgiveness from the black church community in court proceedings for Dylan Roof, who killed nine people at a black Charleston church. That was accommodating white feelings and white superiority. It was, yes, quote unquote, yes, Massa, can I have another, quote unquote, or end quote, he said in an interview. But at the same time, it was a spiritual fortitude forged in a crucible of terrorism. It speaks of a spiritual level that I haven't attained. There has been an arrangement here created over generations to be able to endure terrorism. At this point, this is the way it is. We endure. We don't ask for more. A candidate for mayor of North Charleston in 2019, Thomas Dixon, who leads an activist group there called The Coalition, told the Charleston City Paper that DeBaha was a consummate social justice activist. While the two disagreed on some matters, Dixon told the outlet, we both understood that the mission and the message superseded differences, so we were always friends no matter what. Dixon wrote in his activist group's Facebook page on Tuesday to meet that evening with flowers outside City Hall to remember DeBaha. My brother, I am eternally grateful to you and for you, for your spirit that refused to accept injustice, your courage that showed the world that fear in the face of wrong was not an option, and your strength that kept you on the battlefield even when no one else was there. Dixon wrote of DeBaha on the Coalition's Facebook page. And they have a couple of uh, screen caps for this as well. Uh, Brandon Fish, who was de- who described DeBaha as his dear friend in a social media post, wrote of the loss on Facebook. We all have lost so much, so very much, whether you know it or not. The world was a better place because he walked around in it, Fish wrote, asking for respect for the family as more information is made available. Damon Fordham historian and author of a 2008 book, True Stories of Black South Carolina, wrote in a Facebook post he saw DeBaha last summer before DeBaha left for Louisiana, where he passed. Fordham said in the post, DeBaha reached out to him for historical information to guide him and referred to Fordham Fordham and his nephew as big brothers. To those who complained of the apathy of the millennial generation, he was proof of the error of that thinking, Fordham wrote. So folks can find this full article at NOLA.com. And it's also on our weekly review webpage. And I'll share it again uh, right now with folks. And Muhi Dean Dabaha, just thank you for your actions. We talk about actions being more than important than words. And here are someone's actions. And I think a lot of us can remember seeing the footage of that, of seeing him take the confederate flag and uh, of course one is very um suspicious of any police narrative and especially as fbi have labeled activists black activists as the fact that they are targeting them instead of targeting white supremacists is just disgusting and also seeing how many people are being hurt by this and it's again something that's backwards And I don't, for a second, believe that this was just some coincidence that this person was killed. (sighs) So I know it's radio and we do moments of silence here and it might seem a bit odd since it is radio and it's the medium of audio. But we'll just do a, a brief moment of silence for all the folks, the activists whose lives have been taken from us, who have been working to who have worked to make this world a better place for everybody and the next generations.
All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening in. And again, if folks are interested in having shows here at Mutiny, please check out mutinyradio.fm. We're looking for some more shows. It's a great opportunity. You get uh, two hours a week to do any kind of programming you want. So again, check out mutinyradio.fm. Do support other shows here. There's shows here every day of the week. There's live performances as well. And again, as mentioned, there's the Comedy Festival coming up in March. So again, thanks so much for listening in. Please feel free to tell a friend and share. And I'll end up the episode by playing uh, the last four tracks off this album. And again, you can find it at inopogu.bandcamp forward slash album forward slash traumatics. And that's I-N-O-P-O-G-U dot bandcamp dot com forward slash album forward slash T-R-A-U-M-A-D-X. Coming up next is Women's Magazine, followed by, well, on Friday when this is played, uh, coming up next will be Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective, and many more shows after that. So do stay tuned. And we'll be back uh, next week on, that'll be February 16th. So uh, have a great week, everyone. And take care.
Without a patter, we'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2pm. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2pm. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground 
Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh yeah, it goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder.
Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Forty-five Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their their variety of cheese and home decor items, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. For all on political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bear exoskeleton contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday.